1030 people, we doing all right? You guys made it here in spite of the rain. Nobody melted. That's always a good thing. So it's good to see you guys. Um, We're diving into week four of our I Want to Know series. Before we get there, though, I wanted to just stop and take a moment and to celebrate what happened last Sunday. Uh, Last Sunday for us at Crosspoint was Compassion Sunday. We uh, challenged our church family to partner with our ministry partner, Compassion International, and to sponsor a child somewhere in the world. And I'm happy to tell you that as a result of that, together as a church family, we sponsored 130 Compassion children. Come on. Awesome. Man, that, that's exciting stuff. Um, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I wasn't here last week and I didn't get a chance to do it, but I kind of want to do that. Listen, after the service, visit our connection desk. We still have Compassion packets uh, left over from last week. And in a church of our size, I don't see why we shouldn't be able to sponsor all these kids. So, so go out there, uh, grab a packet, sponsor a kid today before you leave, and we'll just keep adding to that number, all right? Well, let's do this. Let's grab our Bibles, or if you have a version Bible app on a device, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles on, and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We have a lot to work through today, so we're going to go ahead and just dive right into our question, okay? Here's the big question that we're setting out to answer this morning. I want to know where the line is. How much freedom do I truly have as a follower of Jesus? Now, the question on the screens, we actually uh, based this question off several questions that were submitted for this series, Uh, questions about sin and questions about certain behaviors that might fall into the sin category. Now, oftentimes it's easy to know what behaviors fall into the sin category, right? Because all we've got to do is pick up this book and we read it and God tells us. For example, uh, in the Bible, we learn that we probably shouldn't murder anybody. That's, that's a sin. That's not a good thing to do. Uh, we learn that, that we shouldn't be drunk. Uh, drunkenness is a sin. We learn that we shouldn't have sex with people we're not married to. That's sin shouldn't be greedy, we shouldn't lie all the time, we shouldn't be a prideful jerk and, and treat other people like garbage. Those things are all sins. But when it comes to other behaviors, we have to all be honest with ourselves and admit that the Bible actually says very little, or sometimes it doesn't say anything at all. And I'll give you an example. One of the questions we received for, for this series was this. What does Crosspoint think about things like gambling and drinking? I mean, listen, this is a great question. It's a great question because these are great examples of two behaviors that the Bible actually says very little about. And I'll give you some homework. Go read the Bible for yourself and see if you can find chapter and verse where it says, do not drink, do not gamble. You see, what you'll find is that nowhere in the pages of the scriptures does it specifically say point blank that those behaviors are wrong. The same thing would go for behaviors such as watching rated R movies, listening to rock music, uh, using cuss words, getting tattoos, piercings, dressing a certain way, um, even doing certain sexual behaviors that a lot of married couples wonder about sometimes. Should we participate in this? So... Um, What we have to wrestle through this morning is how that jacks us up. Because if we're honest, that lack of clarity messes a whole lot of people up, doesn't it? 
And as a result, a lot of Christians end up responding in, in one of two ways. And both of these ways that I'm about to show you, they're wrong, okay? License is one pathway that people often choose when it comes to these behaviors that the Bible doesn't clearly address. And the other is legalism. Now, let me unpack these so you know what they mean, all right? This mindset of license would say this. Well, since I can't find chapter verse where it tells me this behavior is wrong, I'm going to just do it, right? No questions asked. It seems that there's freedom there, so I, I'm in. Bible doesn't say I can't drink. Break the bottles out. We're drinking tonight, right? Bible doesn't say no gambling. We're going to Vegas. Uh, Bible doesn't say no rated our movies anywhere that I can find, so, so Magic Mike, here we come. L- ladies in the room, that's for you in case you didn't catch it, okay? N- now listen. The problem with this license mindset is that oftentimes it's centered entirely on self, and it fails to take into consideration several important questions that we're actually going to address in this message today. Now, the next wrong mindset is that of legalism. Someone who is a legalist, they will look at behaviors like drinking, like rated R movies, rock music, all these different things. And even though the Bible doesn't clearly say that those things are sinful, they'll say things like this. Uh, If you're a real Christian, you won't do that kind of stuff. Because all those behaviors, they're worldly, they're sinful, and only sinful worldly people do them. If you're a good Christian, you'll avoid all of those kinds of behaviors. And see, for the legalist, avoiding those behaviors that the Bible doesn't clearly speak to... It's just another way for them to feel more confident and more secure in God's approval and acceptance of them. Because they only drink sweet tea and water, right? Because they they only watch movies like Fireproof, God's Not Dead. Because all their presets in their car are set to J93 or The Fish. They are convinced at the end of the day that they clearly love God more than those people who fail to avoid all that they avoid. And they're sure, they're sure that God must love them more than he loves those people who don't live up to the same subjective moral standard that they adhere to. Now, the big problem with legalism is this. It's most oftentimes rooted in both pride and fear. And it denies the amazing truth that God loves sinful people, not based on what they do or don't do, but on what Jesus has done for them. And and oftentimes, legalists spend the majority of their time not trying to be more like Jesus, but looking down their nose at other people. And that's the problem with this legalistic mindset. So, so knowing that both of these responses are wrong, what's the right response? I mean, where is the line on, on these behaviors that we've mentioned and how much freedom do we have as, as followers of Jesus to participate in them? Well, when you go to 1 Corinthians 8, you find that the church at Corinth, they were wrestling with this same question, just on a different issue. Their issue all surrounded meat and what kind of meat they should eat. Uh, in the ancient world, there were two places you could buy your meat. You could go down to the local market and you could buy it there. The problem was that meat was really expensive. Or you could go down to your local pagan temple and you could buy meat that had been sacrificed to idols and pagan gods and you could get it at a much cheaper price. So here's what was going on in, in Corinth. A lot of the mature Christians in the Corinthian church who knew that pagan gods didn't exist, who knew that idols couldn't contaminate food, they were going down to the local pagan temple. And they were buying their meat there in order to save money. Now, this messed up the weaker, more immature Christians. 
I mean, they just couldn't understand it. Why in the world would our brothers and sisters in Christ go back to that pagan temple and buy their meat that had been sacrificed to idols and pagan gods? That's the lifestyle Jesus saved us from. Why in the world are they running back there? So as a result, there was this division that existed in the Corinthian church all over the kind of freedom that a person had concerning food choices. And in response, Paul writes this section of 1 Corinthians to the more mature Christians in that church. And, and the verses that we're going to walk through, they raise some really helpful questions that every single person in this room should consider when it comes to whether or not we take part and exercise freedom in those behaviors that the Bible doesn't clearly teach on. So we're going to walk through these questions, okay? And, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you straight up, this is one of those messages. You might walk out the door with more questions than you have answers. That's okay. That's a good thing, okay? So first question we've got to answer for ourselves is this. Is it lawful? Is this behavior that I want to engage in lawful? The Bible doesn't say anything. Is it lawful? Uh, one of the, the Corinthian church's favorite phrases to use in response to people who question their freedom in Christ was a, was a statement we find in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Here it is. All things are lawful. All things are lawful. Uh, the Corinthian church, they were definitely a people who bent more toward that licensed mindset that I described earlier. So anytime people questioned anything they were doing, here was a response. It's lawful. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not breaking the law. I never heard Jesus teach that, that meat was wrong, meat that had been sacrificed to idols. I mean, what's the deal? It's all lawful. Well, listen, this phrase raises an important question that every single one of us, again, needs to ask on these freedom behaviors, even when the Bible isn't clear. The first question, there's two parts. First question we've got to ask is this. Is it lawful according to the Bible, truly? You see, you understand that even though you don't find a chapter verse on a particular behavior, that that particular behavior can still stand in opposition to other key principles and truths found in the Bible, Right? So we've got to do our homework. And I'll, I'll give you an example of this so you understand what I mean. Um, gambling was, was something that was asked about specifically. And for me personally, I think gambling is, is a separate issue. It kind of stands apart uh, from drinking, from rated R movies, things like that. And here's why. Because gambling is, is a behavior that in many ways contradicts key principles of stewardship and trust in God. And my personal opinion and you can take it with a grain of salt if you want, is that most people should probably avoid cam gambling for, for those reasons. Think about this with me. I'll make my case. Um, you get that according to the scriptures, you don't own anything, right? That God is the owner of all things, which means that your stuff isn't really your stuff. It's his stuff. Your money isn't really your money. It's, it's his money. He's owner. You don't own anything. He's given you everything you have to manage or to steward while you're here on the earth for his glory and for the good of other people. And you can argue with me on that if you want, but I'll just remind you one day you're going to be dead and none of your stuff's coming with you, all right? You don't own anything. He, he owns it all. Now, let's think gambling, right? Why do people gamble? Is it not because they feel like they have a right to their money and they can use it however they want? Like, I just wonder how many people who gamble regularly stop to ask God, hey, God, you own this money I'm about to use on this game of risk and chance. Should I use your money like this? See, that's stewardship. It stands in opposition to this owner-manager mentality. Um, the Bible also tells us, and you can find proof of this in Matthew 6, that God, who is owner, promises that if we'll manage his stuff in a way that, that advances his kingdom here on the earth, that he'll be all about our kingdoms. 
Now listen, that's not a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you give your money, you do all the right things. It's health, wealth, prosperity. That's a garbage gospel. We don't preach that here. What I am saying, though, is God promises that we can trust him as owner, and if we'll use his stuff wisely and be about his business, that he will meet our most basic needs while we're here on the earth. Now, again, think about this. When it comes to gambling, why do most people gamble who gamble regularly? Is it not because for some reason they feel like it's their job to do creative things to make money for themselves so that they can take care of what they need to take care of? I mean, I I would argue that for for a lot of people, I would just wonder how many people who gamble regularly stop and, and consider the question of, do I trust God to take care of me or do I feel like it's my job to take care of me? See, gambling, man, it's, it's a tough issue that we've got to ask some hard questions about because, again, it can easily stand in opposition to the truth found in God's Word. Now, I know what some of you guys are already thinking, right? You're going, well, James, that, does that mean I shouldn't go enjoy poker night with the boys? I mean, it's a $5 buy-in. What's the big deal? Should I not throw 25 bucks in the, in the fantasy football pot? Uh, can I not spend two bucks on the lottery ticket when the jackpot's like a billion dollars? And I think those are fair questions. And look, I'm going to be real honest. I've done all those things. So, so that's a fair question. And again, for you, I would say you have to, at the end of the day, wrestle your motivation down to the ground for participating in that behavior. And you've got to ask yourself again, do I trust God? Am I doing this in any way because I don't trust God to meet my needs? And you've got to ask God, God, is this how you want me to use your money? And based on the answers to those questions, you have to make a wise decision for yourself. Now, the second part of the question, it's a lot easier. Is it lawful? Another way to ask that question, is it legal? Man, the Bible may not address it, but am I breaking the law if I do this? Now, we could come up with a lot of examples on on how to apply this, but I want to primarily speak to like the young people in the room. If you're a teenager, listen for the next few minutes, all right? Um, Here's how this applies. If you're in the room, you're under 21... You should never drink alcohol ever, ever. You get that, right? You see, the Bible actually teaches in Romans 13, 1 through 2, that as Christians, we should obey the law of our land. The law of our land is you don't drink till you're 21. So in order to to drink, you not only have to break the law legally, but you also have to disobey God to do so. That would go for things such as gambling as well. Legal age for gambling in uh, the state of Georgia is 18. So teenage kids, don't try to be shady, go buy a lottery ticket, right? You're breaking the law. Um, You have no reason to go to Vegas until you're 21 because you can't do anything there until you're 21. That would go for things like smoking, cigarettes, cigars, pipes. If you're under 18, you just shouldn't do it. I would also say when it comes to like rated R movies, the legal age for getting into a rated R movie is 17 unless you're with a parent. And so teenagers, don't go see Frozen and then like sneak into the rated R movie that down the hall after Frozen's over, okay? You shouldn't do that. It's unwise. It's unlawful. Now, once you get to a legal age, here's, here's what you got to do next. There's some other helpful questions that you have to start asking yourself. And, and Paul points this out for us when you keep reading the rest of this verse. And, and he keeps going. All things are lawful, but not all things, listen, but not all things are helpful, All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Paul's going, it it might not break the law culturally or spiritually, but at the end of the day, that behavior you want to participate in, again, it it might not be helpful and it might not be beneficial. So uh, we got to keep asking some questions. The next question is this. Is this behavior I want to participate in harmful? Is it harmful? Now, there are two parts to this question as well. First, 
is this behavior harmful for me? Is it harmful for me personally? This is a, a question that Paul confronted the Corinthian church with. You see, some of them, they weren't just buying meat from the local temple and bringing it home to eat it. Some of them were going to the temple and enjoying meals in the temple during pagan worship services. And what Paul does is, is he tells these guys, that's harmful for you. The stuff going on inside that building, it's demonic. And just by you being there, you're putting yourself in harm's way. This is why in verse 12, Paul goes on to say this. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, Paul is saying, don't become so overconfident in the freedom you have as a follower of Jesus that you completely disregard the consequences that certain choices and certain behaviors may bring. And again, I'll give you some examples, real life stuff, so that you understand what I mean. Um, if you're someone in the room who has a very addictive personality, I would say to you, you probably shouldn't drink alcohol. You've got the freedom to do so, but I'm just saying you might want to not do so because of where that behavior may lead you. The same might go for those of you in the room who, who come from a long line of alcoholics. My wife and I, we have that story. Families full of alcoholics. We have people in our family who've died from alcoholism, tried to kill other people because of alcoholism. So if that's your family and if that's your story, listen, you may need to make a decision for yourself to not drink alcohol. Even though, listen, I get it. Even though the Bible says wine's a blessing, even though Jesus turned water into wine as his first miracle, and for all you Baptist folks in the room, I know that messes you all up, right? <laughs> but even though, again, the Bible doesn't clearly say anywhere that enjoying a, a glass of wine at the Olive Garden is a sin, man, you may not, you may need to not do that because at the end of the day, it'd be harmful for you personally. I would also make the same case about certain movies, right? Uh, if you're someone in the room who has a really difficult time with lust, you've struggled with pornography, or you're struggling with pornography now, I would say to you, probably not a good idea to keep watching movies that are full of nudity and sex scenes, even though you have the freedom to do so. I'm just saying, you keep watching that stuff, it could lead you back to a place of deep struggle. If you're the person in the room who, who is terrible at managing money, you're, you're up to your ears in debt, Again, I'm going to say to you, probably not a good idea to throw the 50 bucks in the fantasy football pot. That could be harmful. Instead, buy food for your family. Pay some debt off. Make sure you're taking care of, of your bills. I, I could keep giving examples, but I think you're smart people and you get the point. And the point is that when it comes to those things the Bible wasn't clear on and we have freedom in, we need to ask the question, is this harmful for me personally? Could this behavior potentially derail and destroy my life? Now, the second part of the question is this. Is this behavior harmful to others? First, is it harmful for me? Secondly, is it harmful to others? When Paul wrote to the leaders in the church at Corinth, he wrote with a lot of concern for the weaker Christians there. You see, he was really concerned that if the mature Christians kept using their freedom in selfish ways, that the weaker Christians may suffer for it. If you guys keep going down to that pagan temple where demonic stuff's going on, those other weaker Christians may follow you back there. That could go really bad for them because they don't have it all together like you have it all together. That's why in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul makes this statement. But take care that this right of yours, that, that right to freedom, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 
He tells these guys, you have all the freedom in the world to eat that food offered to idols, but be cautious. Do not do something that could affect the behavior of those weaker Christians in a way that would be harmful to them. And what you and I have to learn from this is really simple. That when it comes to exercising our Christian freedom, we have to take other people into consideration. We can't just think about ourselves. Because, again, if we're not careful, we could cause others to fall into sin. And I'll give you real-life examples to, to explain what I mean. Um, if you're a person who does enjoy like a glass of wine with dinner, a, a beer with the buddies while you're watching the game, probably not a good idea to invite your friend who, who went through AA, spent years of his life struggling with alcoholism, to your house for beer and wine night. Right? Probably not a good idea. Hey, hey Joe, bro, uh, know this was a struggle for you, but we're throwing down tonight. Come on, bro, we're getting the guys together. We're watching the game. Not a good idea. That could be harmful for your friend. It's one thing to enjoy a glass of wine in your own home with dinner. It's another thing to invite people who struggle that into your home and hand them what they struggle with in a cup. That's why here at Crosspoint we ask all of our group leaders not to ever put alcohol out at a group meeting. I just don't want to hear a story of somebody showing up to this church, meeting Jesus, going to a group because they want to know more about him. And their story is, I've struggled with alcoholism all my life, and they show up, and, and that thing that is their struggle is sitting there on the table. Again, you have freedom to do it, but you've got to ask yourself, is it going to harm other people? Um, parents in the room, I would say to you about, about movies, it's probably not a good idea for you to go to Redbox and grab a movie for family movie night. That, again, includes a lot of nudity and sex scenes. Parents in the room who have teenagers, it's not a good idea to let your teenager rent those movies for a night of hanging out with friends. And I'm just basing this advice off of what we know to be true about pornography and sexual behavior in teenagers. Parents, listen to some of this stuff. Do you know that the largest viewing audience for online pornography today is kids between the ages of 12 and 17? And there are girls included in that number. That's not just all boys. The average age for which a child sees pornography is 11 years old. 93% of boys, 62% of girls are exposed to online pornography before age 18. Three in 10 teenagers between 13 and 16 admit to being sexually active. 80% of teenagers admit to having sex by the time they're 19 years old. So parents, look at me. I, I would strongly encourage you to have helpful conversations with your kids about sex and pornography at a very early age. But I'd strongly encourage you not to set them up for failure in those areas by putting those things in front of them all in the name of entertainment. I personally know how that can go very, very bad and wrong in a person's life. Be smart. I know some of you sitting here, man, I like this church until today, right? Because <laughs> this is always a church I just felt free in. And James, it feels like you're imposing on my freedom. James, it almost sounds like you're being, being legalistic. Listen, you can argue with me. I'm not being legalistic at all. I'm just trying to offer you wisdom, smart advice to keep you from making decisions that could hurt you and harm others. You see, we have to understand as followers of Jesus that the mature thing to do is to balance the freedom God has given us both with caution and responsibility. We can't only think about ourselves. We have to think about others. I love what Warren Wearsby says in his uh, commentary on 1 Corinthians. He says, the way we use our freedom and relate to others indicates whether or not we're mature in Christ. And I could not agree with that statement more. Now, lastly, if, uh, if that behavior that you want to participate in, 
But the Bible gives freedom. And if it's lawful, if it's, if it's not harming you or anybody else, the last question to ask is this question. Is it hurtful? Is it hurtful? And again, there are two parts to this question. The first is this. Does this behavior hurt my ability to glorify God? Does this behavior hurt my ability to glorify God? And Paul guides us to this question in verse 31 of chapter 10. Listen, here's what he says. He says, so what, what, or whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. No matter if you're brushing your teeth, if you're playing out at the ball field, if you're hanging with your boys, if you're sitting in a classroom, eating or drinking and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We have to understand that God created every single one of us sitting in the room this morning for the ultimate purpose of living lives that glorify him. That's, that's our purpose in life. Love how John Piper says it. Birds were made to fly. Fish were made to swim. Human beings, we were created to glorify God. And glorifying God, here's what it means. It means that we love him. It means that we trust him. It means that we worship him. It means that we express gratitude to him for the good God that he is. It means that we obey him in all that he's asked us to do. And according to this verse, since you and I were created to glorify God... All of us make decisions every moment of every day in every aspect of life that either help us or hurt us in fulfilling the very purpose that God created us for. Now, because that's true, the questions that we have to learn to ask about those freedom behaviors are questions like these. Um, Does what I'm about to do help me to love God more or will it cause me to love God less? Does this behavior cause me to trust God more Or to trust God less? Will what I'm about to participate in cause gratitude to to rise up in my heart toward God for how good he is, for all the good gifts that he's blessed me with in life to to enjoy, or, or will it take my focus off of him? Will this behavior help me to obey God more, or will it hinder me from walking in obedience? Another really important question that I would encourage you to ask is this. Does this behavior that I want to participate in, does it help my life to look more like the life of Jesus or less like the life of Jesus? And the reason that's an important question is because Jesus is the ultimate example of what a life lived to the glory of God looks like. If you ever want clarity on what your life should look like as a follower of Jesus, all you have to do is look to Jesus. Now, Paul guides us to the second part of this question when you keep reading this passage, verses 32 and 33. Look at what's next. He says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That's a key phrase. I'm not seeking my own advantage. I'm seeking the advantage of of many other people so that they may be saved. Here's the second part of the question. Does this behavior hurt my ability to reach those far from God? Does this behavior help my, or, or help my ability, hurt my ability to reach those far from God? You see, what we can't do is just live our lives every day however we want at the expense of people who don't yet know Jesus. You get that, right? And let me just dispel a lie, a myth that some people believe for some reason. You also understand, right, that, that you don't reach people far from God by living and acting like somebody who's far from God themselves, Right? You see, instead, as followers of Jesus, we're called to live lives here on the earth that look so much like the life of Jesus that when people encounter us, that they have a hard time denying that Jesus is real and they actually need him. And so the question you've got to ask yourself is, 
Is this behavior that I want to participate in, is it going to accurately reflect the truth about who Jesus is and what he wants to do in the life of lost people? Is this behavior going to reflect that truth or is it going to cloud it? These are important questions for us to wrestle with. Now, when you get to the end of these questions, is it lawful? Is it harmful? Is it hurtful? There's three last steps that I want to give you because if you get to the end of them and you go, yeah, it's lawful. Uh, Again, I'm not breaking the law culturally, spiritually, biblically. Uh, I really don't think this thing I want to do is going to harm me or anybody else. And and it really, I don't see a way that it it hurts my ability to glorify God or, or reach people. Well, here's what you do as last steps. One, you ask God for wisdom. You ask God for wisdom. So you say to God in prayer, God, uh, I really think it's okay for me to do this. I've ran it through the filter. I think it's okay. But God, would you just give me wisdom to know if it's really okay? And here's the beautiful truth. We find evidence of this in, in James 1.5. The Bible tells us if we lack wisdom on a decision we need to make, if we just ask God for the wisdom we need, God who's generous will give us that wisdom and we'll know. So ask God for wisdom. God, is it okay for me to do this? Next, listen to your conscience. Man, once you ask God for wisdom, God the Holy Spirit, he's going to speak to you about whether or not that thing you want to do is okay for you or not. And you have to listen. And if there's even a hint of doubt in your conscience about that behavior, don't do it. Man, all my girls are going to see Magic Mike, but I don't feel like I should. Don't go, right? Stay home. Do something else. Man, all my buddies out there, they're enjoying a beer at the game, but, but I know my story. I know my struggle, and I don't think I should. Don't. Stay away from it. Listen to your conscience at the end of the day and make a wise decision. And lastly, listen, this is huge. Don't infringe on the freedom of others. Don't infringe on the freedom of others. Um, The pull a lot of times for people is to wrestle through questions like these, uh, start participating or avoiding certain behaviors, and then to either infringe or push on the freedom of others. So we have to understand that what we personally feel God leading us to avoid, that may not be the case for somebody else. And listen, that's okay. Somebody else who knows Jesus may not feel freedom to do what you feel freedom to do. So don't be that person that slams other people for enjoying their freedom in Christ. But, but look at me, all of you that enjoy freedom in Christ in certain areas of life, Don't be that prideful, arrogant person who walks around slamming those who avoid what what you participate in because you just think they're lame church people. Now listen, they may be lame church people. I don't know, but, but there's a chance that they're just mature people who've asked the hard questions. They've asked God for wisdom. They've listened to their conscience, and God's led them to a different place than he's led you. So respect the freedom of others. Now, as we get ready to close... I quickly just want to share with you the danger of failing to ask the hard questions that we've presented today. Like if you walk out of this room and you just go, I don't care what that guy said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Here's the danger. The danger is that you could become a person who spends your entire life here on the earth far too easily pleased by the things of this earth. And I want us to read something together, and I'm going to keep unpacking what I mean, okay? In in his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. 
we're far too easily pleased. Think about this. Say if we packed up, we went to Africa tomorrow, back to Burkina. You went on a trip with me. And we went into one of the poorest cities of the country. And we found a little African kid. He's out kicking rocks. He's making mud pies. That's his life. That's all he knows. And you walk up to that kid and you go, I'm going to get you out of here. And you're going to come with me somewhere else. Man, we're we're going to go to Hawaii. I'm going to show you things you've never seen before. Man, you're going to know joy and satisfaction that you've never experienced. And imagine you tell this kid all these things. And the kid looks back at you and says, I'm fine here. I'm fine here. See, that's the picture of the Christian who takes their freedom in Christ, runs out into the world, and takes advantage of that freedom without asking all the hard questions we've asked today. Listen, you understand that you can have God, right? All of Him. You can live a life for His glory, for the good of other people. You can be a person who helps people who are far from God to find their way back to Him. You can be someone who lives every moment of every day for the very purposes God has created you for. And in those purposes is satisfaction and joy that that are beyond comprehension. And all I'm saying is don't trade in that joy and that satisfaction and your whole life's purpose. Don't trade those things in for simple fleeting moments of pleasure just because you're free to do so. Ask yourself the hard questions and live your entire life here on the earth for the glory of God and the good of other people. Enjoy your freedom. God wants you to do that. But do not let your freedom cause you to miss out on all that God has for you. That's what we want to pray for today. We need God's help. We need his wisdom to make smart decisions in life. So I just want to ask you, if you will, out of the room, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray for that together. God, We come before you this morning and we thank you for all that you are. God, I thank you that you're a God who's for our freedom. I thank you, God, that your word tells us in Galatians 5.1 that it's for freedom Christ to set us free. I thank you, God, that that your word tells us in John 8 that if, if the Son set us free, we're free indeed. God, thank you that you're not a God that puts heavy burdens on our backs. God, that even your commands lead to greater freedom and joy. I thank you that that's true of you. But God, what we're begging of you today is to give us wisdom on how to use our freedom correctly. God, I I don't want anybody in this room to miss out on what you created them for. God, I don't want anybody in this room to miss out on knowing Jesus more, loving Jesus more painting a clear picture of Jesus to this world because they use their freedom in the wrong way. Scott, we just need your help. We need your help. We need your wisdom. We need to know whether or not those those things that that we're participating in or want to participate in are harmful or hurtful. God, if they stand in opposition to anything else in the scriptures. So God, would you just show us? Speak to our conscience. Speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you in whatever you show us. God, we just love you so much. And we thank you for your great love for us as broken, sinful people. God, it makes no sense why you love us. We're so thankful that you do. God, we pray all this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.